Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So we'll be reading Luke 2, verses 21 to 38. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So when he came by the Spirit into the temple... And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about eighty-four years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. May be seated. We have been spending um, the last couple weeks considering the Feast of the Incarnation in the celebration that God came to earth, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But that Jesus wasn't a man, though he was fully man, but yet Jesus was fully God. And the fact that him being fully God was what enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice in order for there to be a sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice for our sin, that it could be done once for all, it had to be a perfect sacrifice. But because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because there is none that are righteous, no, not one, not one man on the face of the earth could ever fulfill that sacrifice. So God himself come. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at these verses, and I'm not going to take time to go through them again, but there is so much in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that reveals the fact that Yahweh himself would come to the earth, that he would dwell in the midst of his people, and that he himself then would be that sacrifice. In fact, one of them that aren't, isn't on here, but Zechariah 12, where it says that on his, his return, when Jesus comes back again, Every eye will, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. They will recognize the fact that they had pierced Yahweh and that Yahweh himself had been their sacrifice. Though at that moment, at that time, they didn't fully comprehend it. 
in my quiet time, even today, my quiet time today, in, um, Luke was going through the, the, um, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And I just thought how fun it was for me to be looking at that portion. And I'm gonna, so I'm going to be going through, quote-unquote, the Passion Week as I'm heading in toward looking at Christmas time here. But they, these two times, they go hand-in-hand hand for me. Because, again, you couldn't have the resurrection if you didn't have the incarnation. Yeah, the, the, the death, but yes. But you, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ is only because God became man. And so we have been looking the last two weeks and continuing today looking at the voices of the incarnation. We looked um, two weeks ago at the voices of faith through Mary and Joseph. We looked last week at the voices of the good news. That was from the shepherds and the angels. Today we want to look at the voices of redemption. The voices of redemption through Simeon and Anna. And so Jonah read just a little bit ago this portion from the book, the book of Luke. Which, again, many times we can kind of just fly through as we're, as we're just reading through the Bible. And you know that's not the classic part of the Christmas story. This happens eight days after Jesus is born. And yet, it's so exciting to me to see how God was at work in Israel even during the 400 years of silence. Uh, maybe you've never heard that term before. But from the time of Malachi to the time of John, the baptizer, the immerser, there are 400 years where God theoretically didn't speak to his people. There was silence. And yet, as we see today, as Jonah read to us, God wasn't silent. He was still speaking to his people. Not just publicly, but he was speaking privately. And that ought to be an encouragement to you. That even if the government shuts down our churches... They don't shut up God. God is at work all the time, even when we don't see him necessarily doing something on the big public stage. God is always at work. Before we get into the testimonies of Simeon and Anna, I want to draw attention, though, to we talk very briefly about this, but I want to come back and just highlight one more time about the name of Jesus. Because we're told in Luke 2, verse 21, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's kind of exciting to me. Two sides of it. We're going to talk about the name of Jesus. But even that part where it just stood out to me this week, again, before he was conceived in the womb. We're talking about an individual that God was going to place within a womb. Life begins at conception. But if you would almost, and I don't mean, I don't want to go to the Mormonism thing where you're just a soul waiting to get a body. Okay, so don't go there. That's not where I'm going. But God knew that Jesus was going to be conceived. And he named him before he was even conceived. You mentioned in your testimony about the the fearfully and wonderfully made were being stitched in every single individual on the face of the earth, think about this, didn't come as a surprise to God. 
Your mama and daddy may have been surprised. But God wasn't surprised. How cold is that? God has a distinct purpose for everybody who has been born on the earth. Well, this one we know is really distinct because this is God, okay? This is God in the flesh, okay? And so his name is called Jesus, and it is the name that was given him by the angel, not just to Mary, Luke 1, verse 31, but also to Matthew. In Luke 1, we have, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. This is Gabriel, Gabriel, not Gabriel, Gabriel. This is Gabriel talking to to Mary, and then in Matthew one twenty one, the angel of the Lord, who we're not necessarily told it's Gabriel, potentially probably the same, and he says to Joseph, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. But now we're given a little bit more information, for he will save his people from their sins. Why do you think it's important that the angel made this comment, both the Joseph? Why do you think it's important? confirmation okay good that's exactly right i mean i don't know whether um mary has said to joseph hey man you know angels talk to me i'm gonna have a baby i'm supposed to call his name jesus or whether she just said joseph i don't know how to tell you this but i'm pregnant and 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 no i don't know that other than i know it other than the angel told me that the the holy spirit's come upon me and i'm gonna have this baby and it's gonna be god's baby and so whether they even got into what the name's gonna be right but now we have this confirmation where the angel comes and you're going to call his name Jesus. But think about what happens um, at the birth of John. Okay, Yachanan. Okay, so when Yachanan is born, John is born, Elizabeth says his name is John. And everybody says what? Ugh. There's nobody named John, Yachanan, in your whole family. Why are you going to this Yachanan kind of thing? And so that's a beautiful name name too because john's name is yachanan in the hebrew which means the favor of god, yahweh okay and so it's yahovah yahweh Hanun, so the favor of of god but there's nobody named that in the family and so they turn to zacharias what should we call him and he's like i was stupid i challenged god and so i don't have a voice bring me a pad right so they bring him a pad and and, and he writes it down his name is john you can almost picture this when Mary goes to have this baby, right? There is no doubt what this baby's name will be. His name is Yahashua. Yahashua. We say Jesus. Jesus comes to the English from the Greek, Jesus. But in the Hebrew, his name would have been Yahashua. Not Joshua, not Yeshua. That's the fort, and so you call me Bob. But my full name is Robert. Okay, his full name would be Yahashua. Okay, that's there, and it comes from Jehovah. You can see the Yoho. Okay, but literally, it's a Yod Hey Vav. The Hey's missing. That's Yahweh, Yahweh, and it there's a, there's a the the Yod is dropped. This is a Yod. There would be a Yod right here if you had the two words together and be Yasha. And the word Yasha means to deliver or to save. Literally, is Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers, and so. This child who was going to be born was going to be Yahweh who saves. We're also told by Isaiah that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. We're also told by Isaiah that his name shall be called what? The, 
What's the first one? Wonderful Counselor. Pele Yoitz. I don't have time to get into all these, but, but the Pele Yoitz is only referred to Yahweh. Yahweh is the only one who's Pele Yoitz. He's the only one who is, gives wonderful counsel. Okay? What's the second name? The Mighty God. The Mighty God. This little baby's going to be the Mighty God. Okay? What's the third thing? Eternal Father, Everlasting Father, Father of Eternity. He's going to be the Father of Eternity. How do you get that? It's a baby who's born, and he's the Father of Eternity. So you say, okay, I like Eternal Father better. Well, then make it Eternal Father. I don't really care. you got this baby who's the Eternal Father. And what's his last one? The Prince Rush Shalom, Sar Shalom. He is the, the, the Prince of Peace. The one who is going to be the ruler and the bringer of peace. This is an amazing thing. And so this little baby has a simple name. Jesus. That has a big, big meaning. He is Yahweh who saves. Now that's integral into what we're going to talk about today. Because God chooses two nobodies. And I don't mean it rudely, because I'm a nobody. You're a nobody. He just picks two ordinary people. I mean, these weren't the chief priests. These weren't the scribes. These weren't the rich people. These weren't the people that everybody was coming. This is just Simeon and Anna. To be his heralds, that this little guy who's being held, who's about no bigger than Sadie. As we saw, Marsha holding Sadie. Sadie is what, what, three days old? So Jesus at this point is eight days old. So think about that. Think about that. I'm going to say it one more time. Think about that. Okay. It is because it's a mind-boggling thing to me. What's getting ready to happen? Mary and Joseph. Mary, Joseph's probably a little bit older than Mary. Okay, you know, significant. And so they're walking into the temple to fulfill this legal ritual by the law to have him circumcised they're just ordinary people walking in with an ordinary baby you'd walk past them in walmart you might stop and go oh is that a new how old is he oh he's so adorable but there was we're told in isaiah 53 there was nothing special about him you probably would have thought oh what an ugly baby but you you know you, 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 but you wouldn't have said that you just said oh you know it's a baby he's just a normal baby you know but they're walking into the temple and they're just two normal people holding a normal baby and all of a sudden these normal people come up to him and this becomes an unnormal moment could you imagine you're kind of walking into Walmart with your newborn and someone walks out and goes, the deliverer of the United States. Oh, I've been praying for you. And God told me that one day I would see him face to face. Now let your servant depart, O oh Lord, because you have allowed me to see the deliverer of the USA. Now, the angel came to you, so you kind of know he's talking right. You know, I mean, you, you, you got the hint on this. But there's a whole lot of other people in Walmart at the moment who are kind of looking in at this thing, and you're thinking, what? <laughs> we take this outside. Uh, something's happening, and I don't think I've been a part to the whole 
you know, the whole play. I didn't read the whole story. Something's going on here. So kind of put yourself, as we talk about Simeon and Anna today, kind of place yourself in, in, in the moment. Put yourself in Simeon's shoes. Put yourself in Anna's shoes. This is an, just an incredible moment for me for, um, as I look through this thing. So first of all, Simeon's testimony, his anticipation. What do we read about him? First of all, we begin there in Luke 2, where we're told, beginning in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word waiting for is the word prosdeklomai. Um, it's going to come up again later. Um, and you have a lot of references on your sermon note sheet. And I'm not going to go through those for prosdeklomai and how it's used. But you can see it means to welcome or to anticipate. Literally, it means to dekomai, to receive pros beforehand. Prosdeklomai. So pros is a preposition. And so um, in Hebrew and in Greek, and this is Greek, you take a preposition and you place it on top of a verb, in front of a verb, and you give it then additional meaning. So the word decomine is to take or receive. More, more strongly to receive than to take. There's the word lambano, that means to take or receive, and it has more of the concept of taking. But decomine then is to receive ahead of time. Do, do you get this? So this is huge to me because Simeon was told something. We're going to see this in a moment. He was told something by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he was told. I know how the Holy Spirit speaks to me, but I have something different than, than Simeon had. I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't begin to indwell until the time of the church. But the Holy Spirit's ministry was massive even through the whole Old Testament. That the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this in a moment, would come upon people and, and he would speak and he would give them a message. Okay, How that happened, I don't know how he got that. But all I know is that, that Simeon, he grabbed it. He grabbed it and he believed it and he looked forward to it to it he trusted in the word of god and he anticipated the fact that it would come about just as he was told do you really believe jesus is coming back like it's declared in the word do you believe that god says everything purposely i don't have time to get into prophecies but i've shared this in the past that I believe that if I live to a decent age, I'm living in the days of Jesus' return based upon biblical prophecy. And I don't have time to get into that. I'm not, I'm not a date setter. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who say he's coming in this year, he's coming in that year, he's coming this month, he's coming that. I'm not going to go there. But I do believe, all I can tell you is I do believe from biblical prophecy, going through the chronologies, the math of it all and everything, that I'm living in those days. And I'm not saying that because of what I see in the United States. I said this 20 years ago, when it didn't look like this. Yeah, Brian's saying yes. I did, didn't I? I've been saying it. And so, now, maybe I'll die, and I'm going to see the kingdom that way. That's okay. I'm not a prophet, I'm not a son of a prophet, and I'm not making a declaration. But I really honestly believe that. Okay? Now, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. But, but Simeon, what? Knew it. He knew it. And he accepted it. He had this anticipation. Well, it became, because of this, what? This revelation that he now declares. 
that we continue on in verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him, right? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what? Spoke to him in some manner, okay? That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, Yahweh's Mashiach. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Don't you wonder what it mean by that? He came by the Spirit into the temple. Did he know it? Did he know at that very moment that God, that God kind of pick him up and say, hey, it's the day. Go to the temple. Or did he just kind of feel led that moment? I want to go worship God. And he didn't know why. He didn't know that he was going to see Messiah that day at the temple. He just knew, felt, however you want to play this one out, that he needed to go to the temple. The Holy Spirit still works in that way in our lives. He comes upon you. He speaks to you. And he moves you. I want to challenge you. Just, just a little. So don't take this too, too extreme. Jesus said you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we don't have because we don't believe. That you could say to this mountain or this mulberry bush, be moved and cast into the sea, and it will be done for you. Sometimes I don't think we feel, we don't hear and we don't sense the voice of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit because we really don't believe that he works that way. And I believe that's a travesty of our brand of Christianity that has minimized the working of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of charismatics. Because we're afraid of becoming a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church. That we're afraid of being led by wrong, no, wrong demon or wrong spirits. But that's why we're told to discern the spirits. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan actually works through quote-unquote ministers of righteousness or, or those who pretend to be ministers of righteousness who really are just his workers whose end shall be according to their works. And so being afraid of the counterfeit, we shun the true. And we do things in our own power that we ought not. I wonder how many times we would have gone and done something for Christ if we would have just said, the Holy Spirit's moving and I'm going to do it. Even if I, doesn't, I don't understand and it doesn't make sense to me according to my own logic at this moment. And that we are more Greek, if you would, in our thought process, because we trust in logic and we trust in our own abilities. And yet, the other side is there, that we need to be careful that we don't hide behind the cloak of the Holy Spirit and blame the Holy Spirit 
like we like to blame God. It's amazing how much we like to take credit when things go good and we blame God when things go bad. But I, if there's one thing that Simeon's life, his testimony of his life, really prods me on, and that is this, that I would be tender to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I would boldly proclaim, publicly be embarrassed by, taking a stand on what he has revealed to me. I mean, do you get it? You got, again, this young couple with a baby doing the normal thing, Jewish thing. And here you come walking in and the thought crosses your brain as you see that baby. (gasps) This is it! This is the one... Would you have done that? I mean, would you have looked at that baby and said, Oh, this is the baby. I don't, again, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's telling him. But he makes, I love to caveat my statements with what? I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. He makes a pretty pretty prophetic statement at this very moment regarding the fulfillment of God's word. Look what he states. As he goes on, he took, up, they took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and said, now I don't think he's doing this quietly. I don't think he says to them, hey, can we go over to the corner? I got something to say. Hey, praise you God. I'm so glad that this is really, you, you know, I'm just, shh, shh. We don't want the authorities to hear us. This may cause a little bit of a problem. This is, goes against what everything, that, so praise God, let's praise God together. Yes, we're two or three are gathered. I, I think he's, he blessed God. Oh, praise God! You know, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And everybody's looking at him like, whoo you know. But no, I think they know who Simeon is. What did we read about him right from the beginning? He was what? Just and devout. He was anticipating, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I don't think he's been quiet. I think he's been proclaiming this. I think he's on record. And so I think the people, potentially not everybody, because some, you know, who knows in the temple, but I think there are people in the temple who know who he is. And when he begins to make this proclamation over this baby, I want you to understand this. I want you to think about this. There are people who understand what he's saying. And at this moment, they have a decision to make, don't they? People always have a decision to make. I mean, when the next week, um, David is going to be talking about the wise men, so I'm not trying to steal your thunder, David. Um, but there's a point where the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, have to make a decision when those magi come to Jerusalem and they say they're looking for the newborn king. They tell, boom, immediately they know where it's at. And they've got to make a decision whether they believe it or don't believe it. Clearly they what? They didn't believe it because they didn't go. Well, these people in the temple, I think they're hearing this. Well, the first thing he says is, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 
What was Jesus' name? Yahweh saves. Your eyes have now allowed me to see Yahweh saves. Your salvation. His name was who he was. Do you get it? And so this is exciting. Simeon would see the Redeemer by divine inspiration. That God would let him know when it came. But he goes on to talk about this next part. That the Gentiles would see the Redeemer by divine illumination. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of who? All what? All peoples. Not the people. Again, we talked about this last week. If it was just before the face of the people, he would be talking about Israel. But he's now before the face of all peoples, which means he's talking about even the Gentiles, the whole world. A light to bring revelation, apocalypses, to the Gentiles. And again, I think I have this, the, the references on there for you. You can go back into Isaiah and see all the references to this. It's exciting. A light to bring revelation and enlightenment, if you would, to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. That through Jesus, through Jesus, we would be able to see God. Do you want to know what Jesus or what God would look like if he was on the earth? Just look to Jesus. God gave us that illustration. And the whole purpose of Christ then, as we talked about in the past, that step back for a second, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose ultimately of the Holy Spirit? Is to lead us to Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus is to lead us to the Father. That's the whole idea, is to bring us revelation, to light to the, to the Gentiles, that we might see the one true God. And so, so here's Simeon in front of all these Jews. Think about it. He's in the temple talking to Jews, saying that this little baby's going to do what? Not just save them. The world. That includes who? Everybody outside the temple. The Gentiles. That all of a sudden, this baby was no longer going to be just Messiah for Israel. He's Messiah for the whole world. When I got saved, I didn't start following a Gentile Savior. I began to follow the Messiah who was born into a Jewish home but who was the Messiah for all people and so agreed not I loved your testimony Nadia just from the perspective that that's me I've, I've been there I understand that where I go to judge somebody else for whatever reason and God instantly slams me and says who are you to judge my child I died for them and if you could see how you look like before I saved your soul, you were worse than they were. He is the Messiah, the Savior of all peoples. Well, that leads us into to Anna's testimony. Only three verses. But how powerful. Three verses. First of all, the testimony of her life. 
She was a prophetess. Again, we hide, hide from some of these words. But you know the word prophet, literally prophetes in the Greek, um, just means to, to foretell, foretell the word of God, to boldly proclaim the word of God. Now, sometimes in that boldly proclaiming the word of God, it is foretelling the word of God, that God gives you something ahead of time and you're proclaiming it before it actually happens. We read about those guys. Uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, some parts of Daniel. But understand that some parts of Daniel, he's not foretelling. Sometime, part, some parts of the book of Daniel, he's what? He's just telling. He's forthtelling, not foretelling. He's forthtelling who God is, okay? And so the, literally, the, the prophet was one who boldly proclaimed the word of God. Now, did Anna speak foretelling? or forthtelling. We're not told. But what we do know is that she boldly was proclaiming the word of God in the temple. We'll get to how long in a second. Second thing we're told is she's the daughter of Phanuel. This is exciting to me. This is really kind of fun because Phanuel, literally in the Hebrew, she is the daughter of Peniel. Okay? And Peniel talks about the face of god she's the daughter of the face of god and at this very moment she gets to see the face of god how cool is that all all her life she's been the daughter of the face of god and now in this last moments of her days she gets to see the face of god and she looks forward to seeing one day what the ultimate face of god but she was 84 to 103 years old now you say how do you get that because it says that she is what? She's of great age, and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Now, some people read that, and they say that she was 84 years old. Okay? And so if she was widowed for seven years, the same she was married when she was about 12, you can put 14 in there and change, it, change the numbers a little bit, but generally 12 years old was, a, was, it, was an age that she could get married at. Okay? So if she was married for 12 years, she was married for seven years, that means she's still a widow since the time she was a teenager or even just 20s. And so if she was then widowed for 84 years, she'd be 103. If she was uh, 84 at this moment, then you subtract the seven years, you get, what, 67, and you go backwards, minus the 12, 67, she's a widow for 55 years. Okay? So she's been a widow we could probably agree, for at least 50 years. And she's 84 to 103. Now, in the Psalms, in the Psalms, how, what is the age of man? Ah, you're all over the place. You're right, Steve. Three score and ten. Seventy. And if by strength, eighty. Yeah. So we think of the 120, that goes back to Noah. Okay? So that goes all the way back to Noah, okay? And so, but let's play that one out for a moment, okay? So if she's 84, she's already what? She's already eclipsed the if by strength. If she's been a widow for 84 years, at the very minimum, she's 103. Either way you look at this, so I mean... And again, I put it down at 12. I'm, I'm minimizing the age. I'm making her a little bit younger. You know, I'm giving her a little bit more spring in her, her step, okay? So what if she wasn't married until she was 16? 
you know, then she's 107 potentially, okay? Um, do you think that this old woman would attract the attention of people in the temple? I think she would, actually, David. I think so. I mean, you're not supposed to live that long. She's a widow. How much do widows have at that time? Nothing. Can you, can you tell me about another widow in the Bible? I bet you can. Naomi, good. Okay, Naomi. And so Naomi's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's, we like that. Okay, she has Ruth and Orpah, right? And so, yeah, yeah. But she goes back to Bethlehem. But she has at least property, right? But she goes back to her property. But what does Ruth have to do? No, wait, wait, wait. She has to marry a consumer redeemer, but you went too far ahead in the story. She has to reap. She has to reap where? The edges and what's left. I mean, wait a second. Hannah's, Hannah owns property. And yet her daughter-in-law, her Moabitess daughter-in-law, is doing what? And I said Hannah. Naomi. Thank you. Okay? Yeah, Naomi. And so, but, so Ruth's got to go and, and do this reaping thing. Did you ever wonder what would happen to Naomi if Ruth didn't go back? She would have been. So now you got this old woman trying to go out in the fields. Longevity doesn't work that way. Okay? What about the w- widow of Zarephath that God told Elijah to go see? We think of it as pr- God providing for Elijah. But you know what? It really happened there. God pr- providing for that widow, too. Because when he gets to Zarephath and, and he meets this woman coming out, and he says, hey, can you get me a drink? And she says, yeah, I'll get you a drink. He says, well, while you're doing that, can you give me a loaf of bread? I'm mean, talking about a little boldness here, you know. Can you give me a piece? Of, can you give me a loaf of bread, too? She says, well, actually, I only got enough wheat to make a little loaf for my son and I. I'm just collecting some pieces of wood so I can go and cook it, and then we're going to eat our bread, and we're going to die. Widows didn't necessarily last long in those days and age. But here you got this widow who's 84 to 103, maybe older. I think that her testimony of her life is an amazing thing that people probably recognized uh, that she was there because she was devoted to God in worshiping him. The word is latreo in the, in, the, in the Greek, and it's the word that you see in Romans 12, verse 1. Be, um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship, service. No, no, don't be sorry, because it all, means all the same. To worship God through your service. This is a worship service. Do you get it? We call that. So, in a sense, we're coming and serving God by worshiping Him. Okay? It's kind of the concept that's there. But she did this, and we're told that she did this with prayer and fasting. Think about this. You got this 80-something-year-old woman, and I'm now putting her on the spring side, okay? I mean, because she could be in the hundreds. Serving God with fastings. Don't answer the question. Don't put your hand up. Don't put your hand down. Don't do anything. Don't blink your eyes at me. When is the last time you fasted? And if you refuse to fast, Why? 
I mean, are you, are, you, are you hiding behind some physical part? Now, I'm not saying it's got to be the full out, you know, 40 days and 40 nights and that kind of stuff. But, but the reality is, here's a woman that we're given a testimony of. This is her testimony of her life. She's a prophetess. She's the daughter of the face of God, if you would, Fanuel, right? She's, she's 84 to 103 years old, and she is praying and fasting to God in a way that everybody knows. This is her testimony. Again, I ask myself, what's my testimony? What do people think of when they think of Bob? What do they think of when they think of Simeon? What do they think of when they think of Anna? These are just two normal people. Just two normal people who God chose to give us a testimony of their life. But now we have the testimony of her words. Again, not many, but pretty powerful. And coming in that very instant, what a coincidence. Now, we're not told that she was moved by the Holy Spirit, but I'd like to think that someone who's that close to God, right, that God is moving her for this very moment. Now, there's a point in the law that we, we talk about at different times. How many witnesses does it take for something to stand? Two, or maybe then three, right? So, the testimony of of God's redemption. We have creation. We have his um, sp- spoken word, the written word. And then we also have Jesus, the living word. Okay, So there are three witnesses to God. The fact that Jesus is God, the fact that Jesus is Yahweh who saves, right? We're given two witnesses from the very time of his circumcision. Anna just happens to walk in at this moment. She just happens to pass by. Now, I don't know if she walks in while Simeon is just kind of rejoicing and and proclaiming and drawing the attention to everybody, okay? Or how this plays out. But Anna walks in. We said, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to Yahweh, to the Lord, and spoke of Him. You can debate the whom Him is there. Is she speaking of Yahweh? Or is she speaking of Jesus? Or is she speaking about one and the same? And she spoke of him to all those who looked for, that's our word, um, prostekomai again. She spoke to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She spoke of Christ, the Redeemer. That's who I believe she's speaking of. That she understood that Mashiach was Yahweh Mashiach. That, that, that Yahweh himself was going to come and be the atonement for his people. Isaiah 53. And she spoke of him to those who, here we go, our word again, prostekomai, who looked for, who anticipated, who received ahead of time. So I think of a, a guy named... Um, I'm going to mess it up. I believe it's Charles Darby. I wish David was here. Did anybody else confirm that? He's the, 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 the beginner, originator of modern day um, um, dispensationalism. You say, what is that? Well, go back and listen to the series that I gave on it a year and a half, two and a half years ago. Anyways, but in a nutshell, we believe that 
God is going to deal once more with the nation of Israel. That Israel became a nation in 1948, not by random choice but, or, or chance, but that God had declared it even in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, that after two days I will revive my people, and on the third day I will restore her to power. That goes into that prophecy stuff. You know, we can talk about this some other point. But that, that God was going to, to do, and he was going to bring back his people. And so what happened with Reformed theology... You need to understand history is important. People ignore history sometimes, and they don't go back and they don't research things, and they need to understand. So how Reformed theology comes about is the fact that Israel's not around, and it hasn't been around for over a thousand years. And you're reading all these things. And so you live back then. How do you interpret the Scriptures? Well, it's being purported that the church has taken over then all the blessings of Israel. It's very easy to what? To accept. A-C-C-E-P-T. Except, E-X-C-E-P-T. Except, that's not what God declared in His Word. God declared that only if you could destroy the sun, the moon, and stars can you destroy the covenant that He made with Judah. Only if you could... That if you could destroy the covenants that he made, that you could destroy with the night and the day, could you destroy the covenant that he made with Israel? God told David, he says, once I have sworn and I will not alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. So if God could change the promises that he made to Israel, you'd never know whether you're really saved or not. Because God could change the promise he made to you. But God doesn't change. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift who is the father of lights. And I'm now on James 1.17. And he changes not. Help me out. Somebody go to James 1.17 finish it out for me. Help me out because my mind just went zap with it. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. From above. From the Father lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. No variation or shadow of turning. And so there were people. There were people. Think about this. Other than Simeon and Anna, in this little bitty statement, we're given a huge truth. There were others. There was a remnant in Israel who were receiving beforehand what God had declared, who were anticipating, who were looking forward to what God was going to do. Even though they didn't know the day or the hour, they knew that God would be true to what he had declared. And Anna had been telling them about it. And so now walking in, she sees what? The fulfillment of it. Do you think now she's silent? I can't imagine what the temple looked like that day. Spiritual. I'm not, I mean, yeah, essentially in one corner it might have been, but I'm not quite sure of the rest. Of, I mean, could you imagine the, the scribes and the chief priests and all these other guys hearing about this and, and, and starting to get the questions? Rabbi, Rabbi, Simeon and Anna, they've declared there's a little baby. I mean, do you get it? He's only eight days old. There ought to be a big star going on in Jerusalem. Why, when the Magi come, do they cause a stir? 
What's happening to the message? Do you get it? What about you? What about me? There are those who are looking for the redemption and those who are not. Which are you? Are you looking forward to the second return, the ultimate redemption, when Jesus Christ comes back again? Do you honestly, firmly believe that it could happen today before we even leave? That poof. Did you ever see the video that someone did on the rapture? I love it. It happens in the middle of church. The guy's preaching all of a sudden, bang! And half the church is gone. I think so. He probably made the video. But that means that what in the video? Half the church was still there. Now, I, I mean, that's a video, right? I mean, it didn't really happen, right? Oh, I'm glad they got the cameras inside. We got cameras. Maybe, you know, I wonder if someone will get the security camera if it happened, you know, when it happened. But wouldn't that be an awful place to be after the rapture? Because when the rapture happened, you wouldn't be there, right? Unless <laughs> it was a bad day. That's when you know. Every day is a good day if you know Jesus, right? But that's the day you know it's a bad day. It better be the day of your salvation. <laughs> it makes sense. If there's nothing else that would get your attention, that better be it. Are you honestly, firmly looking to the redemption? What is the theme and testimony of your life and message? Is it the redemption of Christ? That was the theme of Simeon and Anna's life. That's what everybody knew about them. Are you looking forward to the second coming of Christ as Simeon and Anna were looking for his first coming? And finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the testimony of Simeon and Anna. Thank you for their voices of proclaiming that you were here in the flesh. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like for them in that day. But God, I look to you, and I know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, that same message of redemption that you spoke to them is the same message of redemption that you speak to us. Lord, whether you come in my lifetime or you come in the lifetime of anybody that's here or not, help us to be bold, to be as those who are looking toward the redemption and that we would proclaim your message faithfully to those who need to hear it. Lord, allow us the privilege of seeing many who don't know you come to know you, that they might experience the joy of your salvation, that you will receive the glory, that your kingdom would be expanded. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.